I'm going to talk about the choices that we make that are largely going to determine what the direction of our life is. But I want to read you a story. It's in 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to read you an accurate historical account of something that happened. And I want you to notice in this passage of how many choices were made. 2 Kings chapter 5 reads like this. Now Naaman was a commander in the army of the king. Of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord, through this foreigner, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. He had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Iran had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria and he would cure his leprosy. And Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing, because surely you do have to buy God's help. The letter that he, he took to the king of Israel read like this. With this letter, I'm sending you my servant Naaman to you so that you uh, may cure him of his leprosy. And as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me. And when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know there's a prophet there in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and he stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha just sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. I thought that surely he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and uh, Frafar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, Father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? It's a simple thing. 
So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he came and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God and stood before him. And he said, now I know that there's no God in the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant not the commander not the valiant man but from the servant and the prophet answered as surely as the whom as surely as the lord lives whom i serve i will not accept a thing and even though naaman urged him he refused if you will not said naaman please let me your servant be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry for your servant, will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon and bow down to when he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow also. When I bow down in the temple of Rimon, may your Lord, the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, my master was far too easy on Naaman. I'm going to get something from him. And what happens is that Gehazi, all that he gets is the leprosy that Naaman had. In this passage, and in this uh, accurate historical account, there is a major biblical plot going on that God is always trying to produce in you and in me. This plot, however, is largely informed by a subplot going on or things that happen along the way. And it's that subplot, actually, that I'm going to speak about today. The major plot and the thing that God is trying to do for every person in this room is the journey of Naaman's heart to become a servant. Look at all the compliments. How many compliments can one man have in one verse of the Bible? Now, Naaman was a commander. He was a friend of the king. He was a great man. He was highly regarded. The Lord had given him victory, and he was valiant, but he had leprosy. Now, I want you to take this right. We should never judge people who have an illness and think that there's something wrong with them. And we know that in the New Testament, Jesus often healed lepers as a sign that he could cure the incurable. Leprosy in Bible times was a stigma of a disease. It was something that made you leave the city, leave the camp, not be socially accepted at all. And what Jesus was saying was, I accept you and I can change you. And often, the, what the Bible does is use leprosy to show a kind of condition of mankind, of being isolated, of, of being set away from God. And what leprosy did in the Old Testament, God often used it when someone was puffed up in their heart 
He would often use it to show them that that wasn't the right condition to be in. For instance, think about Moses. When Moses talked to God and said, I'm not sure they'll believe uh, me if, I, if that you've sent me. He put his hand in his cloak and it came out leprous and put his hand in it and it was healed again. Think about the time when Miriam spoke against Moses and she was struck with leprosy because she usurped authority. There was a king in the Old Testament called Uzziah and we often know him as being in Isaiah's great holy vision but Uzziah stepped over a boundary and said, oh, I can offer uh, the incense and I can do the job of the priest and he was struck with leprosy and, and actually he died from that. And here in this in this passage, Gehazi, who stepped over the bounds of what he's supposed to have done, was struck with leprosy. And leprosy, often in the Bible, shows somebody who's got kind of a prideful heart. And here we see that it's a servant girl who starts a process with her, with the, with her commander and with the commander's king that takes Naaman on a journey where he comes to the river Jordan, cleanses himself, and he comes out. And in the Hebrew, it says he's got flesh like a young boy. Well, if you notice in the scriptures, the servant girl is a young girl. And it's a euphemism or a word to say, these are servants. And so uh, Naaman comes out with the flesh of a young boy. And what the Bible's saying is, now I've transformed him into what I want him to be. I want him to be a servant. And in fact, he says in the very next verse, doesn't he? He says uh, to uh, Elisha, so please accept a gift from your servant. And he uses the word servant over and over and over again because that's now the position he's been made into. It's very interesting to me that in this story, the person who has the position of a servant, Gehazi, doesn't have the heart of a servant. And that's what God is trying to get you to. And all the signs of Naaman's wealth and power, his clothing, his money, are the very things that brings Gehazi down. Our journey as people in this world and our journey as Christians and disciples is the same journey towards servanthood. Wasn't it our Lord who said, don't be like other people who lord it over people, but it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be servant. And doesn't Philippians 2 verse 7 talk about our Lord Jesus who said, who being in very nature didn't grasp after being God, but became like a servant. In fact, if you look at it closely, Naaman's healing is brought about by, first of all, a servant girl, then a message sent by Elisha's servant to Naaman, and then his own servants who speak sense into him. Everything about this story says God's heart for you is to serve, is to be a servant, is to be like Christ in that he was a servant. And that's the major biblical plot going on for God. If you say, I wonder what God's will is for me, God's will for you is to be a servant. Now, I usually don't get an amen at that point, but let's be countercultural. God's will for you is not to be a celebrity. God's will for you is not always to be 100% popular. God's will for you is not always to have an easy time. 
But God's will for you is to be and have a life where you serve others and change their lives and give Richard a new day. Amen? Can I ask you, what would it have been like on Richard's new day had somebody not have had a servant heart to pray with him? You see, you're God's servants in the world that change it. And that's the major biblical plot that's going on. But I don't want to speak about that today. I'd like to speak about the subplot in this story. And it's the choices that the people in the story make because I want to highlight to you today that God gives you opportunities to choose and that will determine the direction of your travel. In fact, this message came about because I had a dream one night about a choice that Kathy and I were negotiating with God about. And God laid on my heart to say, speak to your church that their choices are absolutely important because your life is really valuable. I don't know whether you can recall a good choice in your life, whether when you said, well, that was a great choice. Guys, this really would be a good time to lean over to your wife and say, you were one of mine, dear. You were one of mine. Okay, nobody's doing that. I'm trying to help you guys. It's all right. Can you recall one of your bad choices? You know, can you recall some of the time when you, when you had it, you may just thought, why did I do that? Let me tell you about one of mine. I've got two older brothers and uh, I just want to say, younger brothers of the world unite. Let's be healed of the pain that we were in. Is anybody a younger brother in the house? I was the youngest brother. Any older brothers in the house? Can everybody else say boo right now? You know, my two, my two older brothers, they were always doing stuff. And they said, one of my older brothers came to me and he said, Mark, I'll give you a pound if you let me crack three eggs on your head. And I thought, this is great. Now, now, let me just give you a bit of historical context. In those days, we had pound notes. Can you remember those, Paola? You've got one. You've got one in the office. We didn't have pound coins. We had pound notes. Do you remember those, Thomas? Do you remember pound notes? So I saw this pound note and my eyes got wide. I was thinking, how hard can it be? Crack three, three eggs on my head and I get a pound. A pound was a lot of money. My eyes, my greed, my choice. I thought, go ahead, I can take this. Crack the first one on my head. Strickling down. I said, this is not so bad. It's a bit horrible. It went in my eye. It was stinging a bit. Cracked the second in my head. It was going, trickling down the front of my nose. So I closed my eyes and I was waiting there for him to crack the third, thinking I'm going to get my pound. And I said, come on, just crack the third one. He said, I'm not cracking the third one. That's going to cost me a pound. You just look funny enough with the two. Older brothers of the world, we forgive you. It's just a bad choice that I made. I've given one or two of you an idea at work, haven't I, to play a joke on one or two people. 
We all make bad choices. Some of them are serious. Some of them are difficult. Some of us make excuses about the choices that we make. Being hurt is something you can stop from happening. You can't, sorry, you can't stop from happening. Being miserable about it is your choice. You can always, you can make the same mistake twice, but the second time you make it, it's no longer a mistake, it's a choice. Never laugh at your wife's choices. You were one of them. Don't pick a job with great holiday time. Choose a career that doesn't need escaping from. A fellow said to me one time, he said, Pastor Mark, you're always telling me to behave right. But as a child, I saw Tarzan almost naked. Cinderella arrived home after midnight. Pinocchio told lies. And Aladdin was a thief. Batman drove at over 200 miles an hour. And Snow White lived in a house with seven other men. Popeye smoked a pipe and had tattoos. Pac-Man ran around with digital music, swallowing pills. And Shaggy and Scooby with mystery-solving hippies that always never controlled their appetite and always had the munchies. Don't blame me for my wild behavior. Blame Walt Disney. Every single one of us has reasons why we make our choices. But here's the thing. Your choices will largely determine your direction of travel. And I need to stand before you today and kind of arrest your attention of some of the choices you may be making or may be tempted to be making and also affirm some of the good choices that you are making that may be difficult for you. Let's look at some of the choices in this story that was made and they reveal that the life in the kingdom comes through our choices. Your new day will happen when you make right and biblical choices. We're going to look at the choices to speak up, the choices to listen, the choices to get upset, the choices not to get upset, the choices just to help, and the choices of grace. It strikes me that in the first sentence, the servant girl had the choice to either speak up and say the right thing. And some of you need to take the choice and speak up and be a witness, even though... That she had been treated badly and carried off away from her homeland. She could have said, no, I'm not going to tell him. He's captured me. I'm going to keep silent. And in your workplace, you quite rightly, in a worldly way, would be justified in saying, no, I'm not going to say anything. I could help, but they've treated me really badly. And you need to make the choice to speak up and say the right thing. Even at the risk of being more unpopular. Later on in the story, there was a choice to speak up from some servants. And I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But the, the second thing I notice about this passage is the choice to listen even when the source of the advice coming is not your first choice. Naaman, the great commander, chose to listen to this servant girl. He was a friend of the king. Doesn't James tell us in the New Testament not to have favorites in the church? Doesn't James say, hey, be careful that you don't think that God can't speak through everybody just because you think that that section is a bit more cool and a bit more status worthy. Doesn't James warn us to stay open to our brothers and sisters all around us? Here, Naaman took the choice to say she might be right. She could be actually onto something that I need to listen to here. 
the king made a bad choice to be upset, to tear his robes. By the way, tearing the king's robes was him letting know everybody, letting everybody know that I'm upset. Do you know people like that? That when they're upset, everybody knows. It's a choice sometimes to be upset. It's a choice to say, oh no, this is going to happen before it's even happened. And actually, Elisha took the choice, even though the king was upset. And he could have said, well, let him get on with it. Have you ever said that to some people sometimes? Oh, just let him get on with it. They're just getting on my nerves. It was the choice of Elisha to get involved and to say, no, I know what to do here. So Naaman then comes with his horses and chariots and stops at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha chose just to send a messenger out and to not react to all the pomp and the ceremony and to kind of play the game and say, oh no, I've got to uh, kind of be all culturally relevant here. He just chose to send somebody out and say, do this and do what's necessary. I wonder if we could just choose to do the right thing, say the right thing, and not worry all the time about our image and positioning. You see, the choices that you make are going to be really important. And Elisha, of course, chose to get somebody else involved in ministry and didn't hog it all to himself. You see, your choices are absolutely vital. And then, the choice to speak up. And of course, in love and in grace, and I want you to see that Elisha's servants said to him and said, my father, you can do great things. Could could you not do this small thing? A great man, do a small thing. But I want you to see that they chose to speak up even though it might have cost them. And I just feel in my spirit, and as I've been all week thinking about this message, I feel like I need to say to somebody today, you need to speak up in love and in grace and in respect, but speak up even though it may cost you. Can I hear an amen? It may cost you, but you need to speak up and say what is right to be done. And one of the other choices that's in this passage is the choice to listen. Naaman chose to listen and to do it God's way, even though Naaman had better ideas than what God, he felt God had. We've got better rivers in, uh, near Damascus. We've got better things. Haven't you, isn't that just typical of me and you? You know, wouldn't it be great? And some people think like this. They think, first of all, I've got to prove to God how intellectual I am, how much I, I am faithful and how much money I can give. And God's just saying, just come to me. Just come and receive from me. No, no, God, I'll come to you when I've shown you how good I am. And, and you think you've got a better idea than God's offer of just saying, come, just come. And honestly, you're not coming, it's not cheap grace. Just come and I will save you, I will help you. Stop thinking that you can do it better than me, just come. And you've got to choose to listen to what God says. Some of you think, well, you know what? I will try and serve God, but let me first do this, 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 and this. And I'll prove to God that I'm worthy of his love. And he just says, come. 
And you know, there are some church people who say, it can't be that easy, Pastor Mark, that people can just come and give their heart to the Lord. We need to test them out first. But God's way is, come all who you are thirsty, come and I'll save you. Stop trying to complicate matters. And I'll take you on a journey after that to servanthood. But right now, maybe you can see Richard's story. Maybe you can hear this where it says to Naaman, just go to Jordan and wash. Do something really simple like putting down your pride, having a little bit of courage in your hand and saying, I'm going to commit my life to Christ. The choices that you make will determine the direction of the travel of your life. Come. I really like Elisha's choice not to gain from other people's vulnerability. That he said, I'm just going to help. There were no strings attached. There was no, well, I, can, I could get a gift out of this. And I want to say to you, who might be coming to the church and you're sitting on the sidelines and you think, well, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. Your character is in it for you. The shaping and molding of your heart, the, the love of your heart and your ability to withstand storms. Many of you will come to church and, and you'll sit on the sidelines and take the choice not to be involved and not to serve. But as you take the choice to serve, then God trains your heart and protects your heart and makes your heart resilient so that when you do serve, you can withstand storms that are much harder than you're serving. You see, Elisha said, I don't want a gift from you. I'm just here to help. And in modern Christianity, we often hear, well, what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. Your character is in it for you. And the molding of that. And I like the choice that Elisha takes, of the choice that he says, I'm going to choose to give you grace rather than legalism. The kid, Naaman says to him, you know, in my job, I have to do some things that I'm not doing in my heart because I'm committed to God, but I have to help in complicated things. There'll be some teachers here. There'll be some curriculum items that you're not happy with, but you're going to have to run with it. And when you have gracefully served, then you may get to speak into it. There'll be some people in the National Health Service here. And you, and you, you struggle sometimes with some of the things that you're asked to do. And you've got to see through the situation and just ethics that are not flexible and look at people who you can minister to. You see, some people in this house would have said to Naaman, oh no, when you go in that temple, you stand up bolt upright so that he knows that you're a Christian. And they would have lost the chance to speak into a king. I'm not talking about compromise here. I'm talking about Christians making grace choices to say you're not the policeman of absolutely everybody in your workplace. Whenever, so sometimes there'll be people who swear in your workplace. You don't have to tell them off every time they swear. Live a great life and they'll be convicted anyway. Did I stop preaching and start meddling? You see, Christianity is a, is a wisdom walk. 
It's a grace walk. And there are times when you may have to say something. I get that. But there are times when you have to walk in wisdom and take the choice to say, I'm not compromising. I'm not joining in. But I'm not policing this whole thing because I want you to see my life and not just my opinions. Can I say that again? People need to see your life, not just your opinions. You see, your life counts more than your opinions. And God will give you times when to speak in. Because you'll be a servant girl at sometimes. And then, at, and then at the right moment, your opinion will make its way all the way to the king. Use grace. Choose grace over legalism. Now, man, we've made some stupid choices in church, haven't we? About, you know, what to wear, what not to wear. Should, should ladies wear skirts or trousers? I just say this, choose modesty. It doesn't matter. Wear what you like. Choose modesty. I don't want to see more of you than your husband sees of you. Just choose modesty. Yeah, give the Lord praise. Let's make some grace choices. And guys, if you have to wear a medallion, we don't want to see it. We really don't. Some people take the choice, the poor choice, of trying to take advantage of a situation like Gehazi did. And what Gehazi was trying to do was accelerate his position before his time. He was trying to say, I want to be more than a servant. And so he rode with camels and he made himself look like Naaman. Actually, when he comes to Naaman, he tries to look like him with all these camels and servants. But actually what Gehazi did was, was pushing something before his time. I want to say to you, choose to serve and God's timing will be God's timing and God will raise you up when he wants to raise you up. Your choices are going to be really important. So I want to close today and say this to you. No matter how much you pray and how much you sing and praise, and we love all of that, your life will always be a mixture and your divine destiny will always be a mixture of God's will and your good biblical choices. Natalie and the worship team, will you come and join with me? Because I just want you to understand that, never, that you'll never forget that that your choices work in tandem with God's direction and his ability to lead you and form your character will be largely down to the choices that you make. So I'm going to give you a template of three choices so that you can, and it, this template will help you make all sorts of choices in your life. First of all, you need to choose life. When you're thinking through, where, where are you taking me, Lord? Choose life. This will be the good choice that you'll need. It will take humility for you to choose life. Right now, in this building, there will be some people, you've made some poor choices and your life has gone pear-shaped. And, and things have happened and it's gone wrong and you've got to say, I admit that. And when you choose life, there'll be some loss God will have to take some things away. When I became a Christian in high school, I was very popular. I was captain of the running team, captain of this thing and that thing. 
but I lost every friend that I had for a season in high school because I became a Christian. See, good choices, choosing life, often involves a loss, but it's also great gain. Choose life. The second choice that you're going to have to make is that as well as choosing life, you're going to have to choose for relationship. When you're thinking about your life, choose what puts you into right relationships more than anything else. Some of you are going to choose for jobs, choose for things, and it's going to knock you out of good godly relationships. I'm not sure where that's where God is leading you. And some people, they come to the church and they say, you know what, I love that church. I love the meetings and that's great. But you have to choose to be in the web and network of relationships. You know what the Bible says? It says that it takes us and baptizes us into the body of Christ. You are fully immersed into who we are as people. It's almost like, if you could imagine, if I could uh, pick up uh, Chitty here, lift him up and take him right down into the middle of this block and baptize him into you. The reason why the Bible says choose relationships is, is because he knows you were built for relationships. You were designed for relationships. Now relationships will take effort and they will cause you pain but also great joy. See, you have to choose for life. Choose for relationships. And then choose to serve. Have you noticed the model that is given on the TV? That what we're all supposed to have is a big house with a big gate around it and a big driveway and an intercom that buzzes people in and all the rest of it. And actually the world's model of success is separation and isolation. And God's model for success is to serve and to be connected so that you change people's lives. Choose servanthood. And your life will find its value an amazing value. I said this in the first service. You know, my message to you, if you're looking for a husband, is will this man bring me life? Will he bring me life or will he be a drain? Will this man embed my life into a series of relationships that are not good for me, are not healthy for me? And will this man help me to serve God any better? If the answer to any of those questions is no, put the brakes on now and start choosing a different thing. In the first service, everybody applauded at that. And if you're a man here, and she is really sweet, but she drains your life, and she takes your life in a direction that isn't bringing you life. And that your, all your relationships go pear-shaped because of that relationship you're prioritizing. And if she doesn't help you to serve God, then that's not the right woman for you. And that's not the right man for you. Can I hear an amen, church? You see, actually, will you stand with me? You can run lots of your decisions through that template. 
If that job that you're looking for drains absolutely every bit of godly life out of you, should you really be there? If that job takes you away from every single good relationship, and even though when job changes come, we all change our relationships, but there's no good relationships there, or you don't have any time for any good relationships, or that job makes you so much chasing the job that you've got no capacity to serve God, is really that the right job for you? Choose life, choose relationships, choose being a servant. Because your choices will determine where you go. Your choices will bring your divine destiny. I know that there's lots of people in this place. You've got some choices and some decisions before you. raise your hand and I may ask you to come out to the front if you've got a choice before you that you know you need to give over to God that you want his help and his wisdom in that but before we do that would everybody just please close your eyes if you're here and you've made some difficult choices in your life and they've gone bad but you You're trying to work out that situation. And I want to say to you, the first step to working out your situation is to just come to Jesus and say, I give you my life. And you might be saying, but but God, can you sort this out first? Actually, the first thing to do is to do it his way and give your life to him. Is there anybody in the house that you would say, you know what, Mark, I don't know whether I belong to God or not, but I want to belong to Him. Would you just lift your hand and you say, I'd like to give my life to God. Is there anybody here you want to say, yeah, I I want to come back to God or give my life to God for the first time. If you've left the Lord and you know that your relationship isn't right, would you lift your hand with Him and let me see. Is there anybody at all? And you want to make the choice. I choose for God. Just lift your hand up. And we'll pray for you. I just thank you that some people here are choosing life and they're choosing you rather than going their own way in Jesus name if you have a choice before you and a difficult decision to make would you lift your hand with me just all over this place if you've got some choices that you say well God I want your wisdom I'll need your help on this Your choices will determine where you go. Is there anybody at all? Yeah. Just lift your hand right up so I can see. Father, would you minister just right now? You know what? Because you're all so spread out. Those people with your hands raised, would you just make your way to the front right now? We'll clear these chairs from the front. That's fine. Just come. We want to pray with you 
and ask and help you to give that choice to God. Just leave the seat where you're standing if you raised your hand. And we just want to pray with you. We're going to sing a prayer in a moment.